First Peter chapter one again this morning. Okay, sorry. Had something I thought of and I don't want to forget. And I guarantee you that I will if I don't write it down. First uh, Peter chapter 1. Um, so we're, we're ending chapter 1 today. <clears throat> We've been talking for, for weeks about uh, the first chapter of First Peter. And there's so much contained in these few verses that we could go on and on for weeks, uh, more weeks about uh, uh, breaking down everything that is contained in in the book of First Peter, and just the first chapter alone. Uh, so we know that we've talked about the, the living hope that is available to us in Christ. <clears throat> All those who are saved and accept Christ and walk with Him and, and walk in the Spirit of God, they have this living hope that is set before them, and they have an inheritance because the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Uh, and then, and then uh, Peter goes on to talk about... Uh, uh, Girding up the loins of your mind. That's what we talked about last week. Girding up the loins of your mind. And he was talking about uh, using the imagery of the flowing robes that they used and pulling up the loose ends. Preparing your mind for action. That's what he's talking about. Is being prepared in your mind for what is to come. Uh, and then he goes on to say then that we should be holy as God is holy. Because the God that has redeemed us is holy because Christ is our pattern, the, the Christ's character, His integrity, all that He is, is what our life is transformed to be through the Spirit working through the Word of God. And we'll talk about that a little more today. But Christ is the pattern. We should be conformed to His image. The Spirit of God dwells within us and transforms us to reflect Christ's image. That is what He is talking about. And He says, be holy as God is holy. That is what He is saying is, God is holy. Christ is the representation of God. We are being transformed to reflect His image. That is the that is what the point is for all of us as Christians that we should be holy as God is holy. And understanding then that that is not some task, as I said last week, that is not a task that we can't fulfill. That's not something we can accomplish out of our own power. There is no human being that can reform behaviors out of their own power and attain some state of holiness. That is not possible. But through the Spirit of God, working through the Word of God, making it alive within us, uh, He transforms our hearts to reflect the glory of God. And that sets us apart to God in holiness. So that's what he is talking about there. And in these, uh, <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 22 today. But what he's talking about today is the, the, uh, um, this is kind of the, the outworking of that holiness. This is the, the uh, natural result of holiness where he's going today. So we're going to start in First uh, Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22. He says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which was, uh, which by the gospel was preached to you. Uh, so 
he goes on again. He's talking about holiness and being conformed uh, not to the world, but uh, Christ is our pattern, all of that stuff. And this is then, he's saying, this is the disposition of the heart that is walking in the freedom of holiness. The person who has been freed from their natural self, the person who has been freed from their own self-will, all the things that we desire as humans, all the, the ways that we create in ourselves this prison. Because you see, we I, I love how A.W. Tozer talked about it one time. He talked about how each one of us uh, in our natural self has this little kingdom that we are seeking to uphold throughout this life. And there is no shortage of people in this world that are out to offend your kingdom or to destroy your kingdom. Nobody cares about your kingdom, right? In your natural self, you're the only one that cares about your own kingdom. You're the only one. Nobody else cares. But that is the point of all of this, is that we were created to dwell in the kingdom of God. We were created to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be people who would be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. That is our natural state is to be the people of God that would be the subjects of our king and be part of his kingdom. That means that I don't have whatever I may think, whether I'm trying to, whatever I'm trying to uphold in myself, I don't have anything. I, I have no kingdom. It doesn't matter what other people try to, to do. It doesn't matter what other people try to say or try to, how they try to offend my kingdom because I dwell now as an ambassador, as a uh, citizen of God's kingdom. I am uh, subject to my king. That means that whatever the king says, that is what I should try to conform to. And we're going we're gonna to break that apart a little more today. But the point is, uh, Peter is saying then, this is the disposition of the hearts of those who walk in the freedom of holiness. And he's saying, again in verse 22, he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. So the point we're going to get at today is where he talks about loving the brethren and loving uh, fervently with a pure heart. That's, that's overall what I want to look at today, but first we have to understand how we get there. How do we get to this place of holiness? How do we get to the place of loving fervently? How do we get to the place of loving those around us uh, with, with the sacrificial love of Christ? And the first thing he says, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but uh, we have to make sure that we get this is the church that uh, in verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. So we have to understand as the church that the truth of God that is applied to our hearts and minds through the Spirit of God in obedience will sanctify or set us apart to God. And this was the mind of Jesus when he prayed uh, for us in the garden. In John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Uh so Christ was praying that uh, God would set apart uh, his people by the truth that exists in God alone. Uh, that, that his people would be set apart in their whole being, their mind, body, soul, powers, affections, emotions, will, everything that we are, that we would be set apart by the truth of God. Uh, so walking in the truth of God, this is, this is how it, set, it sets us apart. This is how it purifies us, our obedience to the things that God has ordained. This is how it purifies us. Uh, John Lennox wrote a book, uh, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but it was about the book of Daniel. But uh, he was talking in there about, uh, if you've ever experienced, they call it light pollution. right? You go out into uh, in any kind of city and you look up into the sky at night, uh, it's, it's a little bit, it hinders you a little bit from seeing the sky, right? 
And you can tell a drastic difference if you go from that place of standing in a city in the middle of the night looking up at the sky and you go out into a field in some of our farmlands out here, it would look drastically different, right? It would look considerably different because there's no pollution, there's nothing around you that is hindering you from seeing uh, what, what is in the heavens above. Uh, so the point is, as we are set apart by the truth of God, as we are purified by the truth of God, we are allowing the Spirit of God to weed out our own human desires and affections. Those are the things that pollute us from seeing God. Those are the things within us that obscure our vision and keep us from seeing God as He truly is. Right? There are things within our hearts that sometimes we as Christians allow to continue, allow to be there. We, we uh, kind of keep God at an arm's distance and, and we want to hold on to our own uh, natural affections for things of this world sometimes. And sometimes we think it's innocent. But it is polluting our vision of our King. It is polluting our vision of God's glory. It keeps us from seeing God as He truly is. So the point is, Christ is saying, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So all of the things that we see contained in the word of God are what point us to seeing God's glory. They allow us to see him clearly. That's what Christ is saying. Sanctify them. Set them apart by your truth. That humans would look on the truth that God has revealed in his word. That they would look on the truth that is revealed in the life of Christ. And they would conform themselves to this pattern. Because this is pointing to the truth. That everything is sustained on. Everything was founded on in this world. It was founded on the truth of God. The principles of God. All that he is. That is revealed in his word and in Christ. So it is essential then that we understand that this is the image. This is the pattern. This is what we should be setting ourselves apart in by by being obedient to what is revealed. Now that sounds very simple. I understand that. That sounds very simple. But again, I think I've mentioned before, but Jim Cimbala wrote a book, uh, I think it was called Breakthrough Prayer. I think it was in that book where he said it, but either way. He said... uh, Something along the lines of it's not, uh, it's not the deep theological things of the Word of God that keep us from walking with God and having fellowship with God. It is the everyday simple things of Christianity that we fail to apply. It's not those things that it takes scholars years and years to study and to try to understand. It's not those things that keep us separated from God. It's the simple things like we're going to talk about today where it says, love your brothers. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love as I have loved you. It is those things that keep us at a distance from God. As we are obedient to the principles of God, He has laid out these principles and they they are contrary to the natural desires of man. They are contrary to everything that we know in ourselves. But the same as the call to holiness isn't a call to slavery to God, it is a call to freedom. That it's the same thing then is this principle where God says, look, I know that person hates you. I know that person says things about you, but I expect you to love them anyway. That is a call to freedom for you. God's not calling you to something that's going to hinder you in life. He's calling you to freedom. And everything that He says, He is calling us out of the slavery that we lived in, in our natural self. Do you understand? That's all. Everything that God has revealed, that's what the purpose is. To set us free from what we walked in. To set us free and set us apart to Him. 
And as we walk in holiness set apart to Him, we walk in freedom. That is the simplicity of all the things that we have laid out in the Word of God. God says, don't do this. Why? Not to rob you of joy. Not to rob us of happiness. Not to rob us of anything that that uh, uh, we might gain pleasure out of in life. But He says, don't do this. Because even that, if, if that brings you a moment of happiness, it is, uh, it is enslaving you in, in some sort of sin. It is enslaving you. Uh, you're creating a prison for yourself. All these things that God says, don't do these things. Because He cares about you. Because He knows you were created to not do that. You were created for something greater than that. So the point is, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God has ordained principles that man would be obedient to. As we are obedient to those principles, we begin to see God clearly because His principles are at work in our hearts, cleansing our thoughts in our minds so that we can clearly see the glory of God. And our relationship with Him is easier to sustain when we see Him as He is. That is the point. It's the simplicity of being obedient to the Word of God sanctifies and purifies our hearts. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. As we have a desire to know the truth and to walk in the truth, the truth then becomes a light to our path. Our obedience is essential to the truth that is revealed. Truth means nothing in our hearts if we are not walking in it. Our obedience to the truth is essential to the life of a believer in Christ. It is absolutely essential. You cannot separate it. Everything that God has revealed uh, is our obedience to that is essential. First John chapter two, starting verse three says, "We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says I know Him but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys His word," Love for God is truly made complete in Him, in them. If anyone obeys His Word, the principles of God, the things that He has ordained and revealed through His Word and through Christ, if anyone obeys those things, love for God is made complete in them. So the love of God is made complete in us as we see what God has revealed and we separate ourselves from whatever would hinder us from walking in that. And we become obedient to the principles of God. So purification comes from the Spirit of God revealing the truths of God and us saying, yes, I will walk in that. I will take the step to walk in that. And then the purification of our hearts leads to sincere love. First Peter, it's, uh, in verse 22 says, uh, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. You have been purified through the truth to sincere love of the brethren. Love one another then fervently with a pure heart. So the thing we have to understand then uh, about about love, number one, is uh we have kind of lost, uh, the word love doesn't mean much in English. If you study the Greek, you will find that there are multiple definitions of the word love. 
When we say we love something, we use the same word for a hamburger that we use for our spouse, right? You can say I love this hamburger or whatever it is, and I love my spouse. It's the same word. It doesn't mean as much. Now, if you go to the Greek, you will find that there are multiple words. There's storge, which is uh, kind of like a, an affection between husbands and wives. It's, it's your... Uh, uh, happiness to be with that person and that kind of thing. Then there is ergos, which is more of a sexual uh, love. And then there is uh, uh, phileo love, which is a brotherly love, which is our, 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 uh, our fellowship, enjoyment of each other and those kind of things. And then there is agape love, which is the sacrificial love of God. And it's amazing as you study this, this passage that he, Peter uses both of those words um, so he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of this, through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, being phileo love, meaning speaking of our affection or fondness or liking our brothers and sisters in Christ, since you have been purified in obeying the truth through the, through the Spirit to that love of your brothers, and he says, love one another, fervently with a pure heart. But he says, uh, the second time, he says, love one another, and he uses agape love. So in that moment, he's first saying, you have been purified to this place of understanding those people around you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You've been purified to the point where you recognize that in somebody else. This is what the church should be. This is what we're saying. Is This is what he is saying is the purification that I receive in Christ. Number one, recognizing that I was a sinner that deserved nothing. I didn't deserve to be in the presence of God. There's nothing that I could have done to merit my salvation. There's nothing. I was hopeless. But Christ has washed me and cleansed me and made me again to be a participant in His kingdom, a subject of His kingdom. And I walk in all of the things that are available to me in that. But then I recognize that that is the same thing in somebody else. I recognize I I have such a love for the people around me in the body of Christ because I recognize that I'm not the only one. That the person sitting beside me has been in the same position where there's nothing that they could have done. There was nothing in their power they could have done to attain salvation. There's nothing they could have done to merit salvation, to be good enough. There's nothing. And I look on that and see the miracle of God working in the hearts of the people around me. And I develop this this fondness, this brotherly and sisterly love for the people of God's church. And then he goes on to say then, love one another fervently, but he uses the different word. He uses agape in that moment. He says, after the brotherly love, you come to this place through purification and recognizing this in each, in each other, then you should agape fervently, sacrificially loving each other fervently, that all of our being would be directed at loving each other as the family of believers and recognizing that that agape love, that different love, the sacrificial love of God is not based on what I receive. It's not based on what I get. It's not based on how the person responds to me. It is based on my act of will, my choice, my decision to love someone. 
And I would say today that that is absolutely essential to the life of the church, not just because the Word of God says it, because in the American church we are so caught up in battles that we never get to the point of actually dealing with our mission. Because we're, we're constantly trying to... I'm not saying here. I'm, I've been a lot of places and I'm telling you that we are caught up in battles and people fighting over anything and everything you could imagine. And people holding grudges for years over offenses. That's not the way the church is supposed to function. We're supposed to be a people that, that are able to function on a love that is not based on how I feel. It is based on an act of will. We see that even in marriages. Right? People get to the point where they, well, I don't feel anything anymore. I don't feel very good in this. So I'm just going to separate myself from this. Your love is a decision. You made a decision to become married. You made a decision to love someone. And that means that even when it doesn't feel good, you still make a decision to continue on in that love. You understand that we are in a place today, especially in America, where we are ruled by emotions. We are ruled by how we feel. I'm not telling you that it shouldn't matter. God has made us to be emotional creatures. He has made us to feel things for a reason. I love how Ravi Zacharias, he said, uh, our feelings should be indicators of reality, not framers of reality. That the things that we feel should be indicators of the things going on around us, but it shouldn't frame the reality. And too many times we have that backwards. Well, this person did something to me, it doesn't feel very good. It hurt. The frame of my reality is the sacrificial love of God. And I interpret that offense through that framework. Not the other way around. It's not, I don't feel good about this. So now I interpret everything around me based on what I feel. You understand the difference? There's a difference where the framework is a biblical worldview. The root of which is the love of God and all that He is. The character of God. That is the framework by which we look at everything around us. Everything that comes toward us. Now I'm not telling you that there aren't situations where uh, you need to separate yourselves from people because there are. There are times where people have done things to other people that have devastated them for decades. Sometimes their whole lives. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be separated from those people. But that doesn't mean that there's not a place you can come to after time of healing where you can still have some sort of desire to see that human soul restored to God. There's not a, that there's a place that you can come to even though you recognize the hurt uh, <clears throat> where you can still have a desire to see that person come to understand the freedom of God and how far they have been separated from God that led them to whatever act it is that has devastated someone. I, I, I'm saying that because I don't want anyone to ever think that I am just saying, you better figure out how to love each other and to never have a bad feeling about somebody. That's not reality. 
point is that in all things, we've got to figure out how to allow the love of God, the sacrificial love of God, to be the framework by which we understand all of the things around us. So love one another with a, per, with a, with a pure heart. Sacrificially love each other with a pure heart. Be willing to sacrifice yourself for somebody else with a pure heart. Be willing to extend your love to somebody else with a pure heart, a love that is extended to that person, not based on what I get in return. See, that love comes only from a purified soul. There is no way in ourselves that we naturally have that. It comes from the purification of the Spirit of God working in us through obedience to the Word of God. We're supposed to love sacrificially, fervently as Christ loved the church. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, all of the things that we try so many ways that we overcomplicate things I think as the church we will we will set meetings and plan things we will come up with programs we will have events we will do this and that we will anything you can imagine to go out into the world and try to get people to like us so that they'll come to church and hopefully they'll get saved. I'm not telling you that's necessarily wrong. But what I'm saying is the Bible makes it very, very simple. If we love each other, if we are able to sacrifice our natural desires for each other, others will know that there is something different about you. They will know that there is something different about me. I don't have to do all of those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. I'm just saying that's not the end of it. The simplicity of it is we better figure out how to love each other. We have a desire to see lost people come to know Christ. We better figure out how to sacrificially love each other. If you have a desire for your family to look on you and see that there's something different, maybe you have family that's not saved. If you have a desire to see them saved, better figure out how to sacrificially love. We have a desire to have our children grow up. We, we do baby dedications and all these things. And I've seen them over the years. So many baby dedications where uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the responsibility of the parents and we say, do you agree to this? And they say, yeah. And then we say to the church, their responsibility in, in uh, basically providing an atmosphere of teaching kids and helping them grow and, and leading them up in Christ. And we say, do you agree to this? Yes, we do. Simplicity of that is them seeing a people who would sacrificially love each other. That's the simplicity of all of this. How do we get to that place? By being obedient to what God has ordained. The principles that God has laid out, I step into them, I trust I walk in them. 
I apply them to my life and He purifies my soul, allowing me then to overlook the offenses around me and apply a decision where I live in sacrificial love. You understand that Peter goes on in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in prayer. Remember, he said that in in chapter 1. Basically, he said, gird up the loins of your mind, right? Tie up the loose ends. Be prepared for action because it is coming. And he echoes a very similar thing here in in, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious. Be sober. Understand that the end of all things is coming. So you better be watchful and serious. And in verse 8 he says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Sacrificial love. He uses the same word there, agape. Fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I was reading uh, one commentary and he put it this way. He said, Love to another shall so cover or hide a great many imperfections uh, in the people around you that you will not notice them. True love to another makes us kind to his imperfections, charitable towards his faults, and often blind even to the existence of faults. We would not see the imperfections of those whom we love. We love them, we are ready to cover over their faults, even those which we may see in them. The Christian poet says this of love, It is gentle, delicate, and kind to faults, compassionate, or blind. Now, I'm not talking about the things that, that are huge things that devastate the lives of other people. I'm talking about the day-to-day things that we get offended by that disrupt the movement of the church. I'm talking about the things that we get hung up on that hinder us from moving forward. And usually it's not some huge thing. Usually it's just day-to-day personality conflicts that hold us up from moving forward as a church. You see, the sacrificial love of God, what He's saying here is love covers a multitude of sins. He is saying that the sacrificial love of God looks on the person beside me and doesn't recognize personality conflicts because I am choosing to act on my will to love someone. I'm, I'm making, it's an act of my will. It's not based on how I feel. And when I act in my will, when I make a decision to stand in love, I don't have to recognize all the personality, all the character flaws in everybody around me. That's what he is saying there. He's saying, basically, you are in a church, you're with humans. You're going to have personality conflicts. You're going to have difficult things come up where somebody rubs somebody else the wrong way and somebody irritates somebody. What he is saying is the sacrificial love of God that's not based on a feeling but on an act of will, that covers all of those things. Because I take a step back and I understand First of all, that that love is directed towards that person, but when I make a decision to love somebody out of the sacrificial love uh, of God, when I make a decision of my will to do that, I am also making a decision to love God in that moment. It's not just that person. I am making a decision in that moment 
to love God, to worship God. We understand, again, we've talked about it before, but worship is not a moment where we come together and, and sing together or, or, or just hear the Word of God together. But when you are out during your day and you are confronted with the decision, you have a choice whether to glorify God and worship Him in that moment or to glorify yourself. When I choose to sacrificially love, I am choosing to worship God in that moment. So he says, and I'll, I'll end with this, uh, verse 23, he says, because uh, you have been born, again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. Grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So what he is saying here, in the beginning he said, we are purified by our obedience to the truth. Verse 25 he says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The point that he is getting here and talking about all flesh is like grass and the glory of man is like the flower of the grass. He is saying, you have been redeemed by something that is eternal. The principles of God that are eternal. All that he is, he has always been and forevermore will be. The principles of God, his character, everything that he is, that the earth and all that we know is founded on. That uh, uh, I love that uh, verse in uh, at Calvary. The the last verse it says, "Oh the love that drew salvation's plan, oh the grace that brought it down to man, oh the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary." The 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 love of God that conceived that plan to redeem uh, mankind. And His love that brought it down to us. All of those things that were conceived in the mind of God, all that He is, that is what we have been redeemed by. The eternal purposes of God, the eternal being of God, all that He is from eternity, that is what we have been redeemed by. What He is saying is this is separate from all the things that man chooses to try to redeem themselves by. We've talked about other religions before, that every religion that you will find is totally different from Christianity in that it is my work that gains my salvation. I work to be good enough. I work to do everything that I can so that hopefully God will accept me someday. He is saying that you have been redeemed by the eternal purposes and character and and word and truth of God. You have been redeemed by these things as opposed to everything that man seeks to be redeemed by. Because of that, you have to figure out how to be obedient to what has been revealed to what God has laid out about Himself. All these things that we talk about, we've got to figure out how to be obedient to them. The worship team can come up as we, as we close today. Uh, and, and the point of all of this today is that if the church is ever to be recognized uh, If we are ever to be recognized by the love of God, the sacrificial love of God, a love that transcends this world, if we are ever to be recognized those things, first of all, it takes the purification of our hearts by obedience to the truth. If we are ever to walk in unity together, 
takes our hearts being purified by obedience to the truth. It takes us being built up. It takes us being strengthened by God's Word and the Spirit applying His Word to our lives. See, there are so many things I want you to understand all of this. You have to understand that when God is calling you to this, He is calling you to freedom. I understand I keep saying that, but what my fear is, especially in the American church, is that everything that we see is we have, we have a pastor that stands up and tells us all these things we're supposed to do. And we go to a Sunday school class and they tell you all these things you're supposed to do. Or you've sat around the church your whole life and they told you you, you should pray. When I was leading youth group, what do you think was the answer? The, every question you asked, what do you think was the answer? Pray. Jesus. Go to church. That was the answer to everything. There's four or five answers. I can tell you exactly what they're going to say every time. Sometimes it's not a whole lot different when we're adults. I'm not telling you that you've got to be a Bible scholar. I'm not telling you that you've got to go to some seminary and understand Greek and Hebrew and all of these things. That's not what we're saying here. What we are saying in the simplicity of all of it is that God has called us to a life that is greater than what we choose to live sometimes. What we choose is so much less than what God has for us. The point. None, none of this is to beat anyone down or beat the church down. The point is to say, hey, look what is here. Look what is available. Look what we have the opportunity to step into. Look what you have the opportunity to walk in daily. I'm not saying it's going to be easy every moment, but you have the opportunity to walk in freedom. You have the opportunity to walk in living hope. You have an opportunity to walk as a co-heir of all things with Christ. You have this opportunity. You have the opportunity to be holy. It's not I have to be holy because God is holy. I have the opportunity. You should be thankful for that. I have an opportunity. I have the freedom to step into the sacrificial love of God that is not natural to the heart of man. I have the opportunity to step into something that transcends this world and express that to people around me. And in that, then God will show them there is something different. We have an opportunity as the church. It's not, hey church, here it is, figure out how to do it. It's, hey, we have an opportunity. Do you see it? Do you see what is available? Some people will go their whole lives and they'll never see it. We should be praying for those people. Because there's something greater that we can walk in. Understand that the Word of God says that the kingdom is not a matter of eat or drink but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All of these things, we have the opportunity to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is why we tell you things like we need to pray. Because in praying, you are seeking the heart of God to understand it. We tell you, study the Word of God. Because the Word of God 
reveals to us the principles of God that we apply in an obedience to those principles that purifies us. We're going to open the altars today. The worship team is going to sing. And again, first of all, the, if somebody coming to the altar does not mean that they have a problem. Somebody come to the altar, you can come just to be thankful. Don't ever think that of somebody because they come to the altar, that there's something going on with them that they need to fix. Sometimes it's just because people are thankful and want to tell God that. But today, if you desire to have that love at work in your heart, come and pray. Seek God in these moments. And one side note, can I just tell you this also about the altars? I know I keep talking about the altars, but I think it's very important because when you choose to express your love to God, whether it's coming to seek Him for things that we talked about today that they would be applied to, or you come to an altar just in thankfulness, whatever your reason is, when you choose to express your spiritual walk with God in front of the greater body, that is a testimony to the other believers that God is doing something in you. Whether some people never get anything from that or not, somebody's going to look on that and say, I want what that person has. I want to be able to express myself. I want others to be encouraged by the fact that God is doing something in me. That is why we do those things. But in that, there's nothing wrong with you doing it at your chair also. I apologize for the side note. I had to say it. Come today. And choose to step into what God has available to you. God, we thank you again today for the opportunity to worship you, to walk with you, to love you. Thank you for the living hope that you have available to us. Thank you for the promises that are laid out in your word. Thank you for the knowledge that all the things that you have ever laid out, that you are faithful to all those things that you can never fail. And Father, we thank You that uh, all the things that You have laid out, Your principles, the things that You have even simply said, just don't do these as humans. That is an extension of Your mercy because You are saying, this is going to enslave You. We thank You, Father, that Your mercies have been extended as You speak into the heart of man and as You call us to freedom by giving up some of the things in our lives that hold us at a distance from You. Father, teach us of Your love today. Teach us to live sacrificially in loving others. To have that love fervently within our hearts and flowing out of us to all those in our body of believers around us, Father, and then to the world around us. I love You today. Be glorified in us. It's Your name we pray. Amen.